Let's go to the Lord prayer. Our gracious, holy and righteous Heavenly Father, we come before you asking that you would watch over and guide and protect us. We know not what the future holds. But we thank you that you do hold the future. We thank you that you've given us the liberty to pray that we not be led into temptation. We might be delivered from evil. That you would help us and strengthen us and help us to not allow the cares of this world to hinder us from the continuance of this worship. We only are what we are if we're anything at all of any significance by your grace and by your power. Without you, we cannot do anything. As we have sung from time to time, we need you every hour. We are nothing but dust. And sometimes we seem, it seems that we are like Job, as we read about earlier, that you have shaken us, poured us out like cheese. And yet we know that you are a sovereign, merciful, gracious, loving God. And your mercies are new every morning. So help us to take our eyes off of the world and off of self and be wrapped up in the truth of the gospel and the teachings of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we left off this morning talking about the covenant and pointing out that the covenant was 430 years before the law was given or the, uh, the promise was 430 years before the covenant or the law that was given. And that the law has nothing to do with our justification. Not only the ceremonial law of Israel, the civil law of Israel, 
or even the moral law that God gave uh, to mankind from all from the beginning. Salvation is by grace and by grace alone. And for those who are saved by the grace of God, it is not a license for sin. Because those who have been born again by the Spirit, they have a different spirit about them than the world. They really have a different spirit about them than they had before God changed their hearts. And so, uh, we must always keep that in mind. And uh, concerning the covenant or the law service that was given, as to whenever or however it was, we pointed out this morning that the children of Israel were in Egypt, not as is commonly believed for 430 years, but they were in there about 200 or 210 years. And the 430 years was from the time that God gave the covenant or the, the promise to Abraham. And then there was 430 years afterward at Mount Sinai when Moses received the law and the commandments at that time. Concerning all of that, I did not read this this morning, or time ran out, but kindly as a summary of, of all of that computation, Gil, come, uh, John Gill made this, I thought was a good summary. However be these computations as they will, it is certain that the law, which was so long after the confirming of the covenant to Abraham, could not make it null and void, or that it should make the promise of none effect. The particular promise of the covenant respecting the justification of Abraham and his spiritual seed by faith in the righteousness of Christ. In other words, justification as was made known unto Abraham was before the law was given. And therefore the law had nothing, has nothing to do with our justification. And as we have stated time and time and time again, and this is what Paul labors the point uh, in the book of Galatians, and that is that the inheritance is a promise and not of works. That's what he says here in Galatians 3.18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. And therefore, the inheritance is given to us by promise because we are the children of Abraham. And as I said, uh, say it again, it is obvious that Abraham could not be justified if the law had anything to do with it because the law was not yet given. 
if the law had anything to do with Abraham's justification, then Abraham couldn't be justified because the law didn't come until 430 years afterwards. See? So the law had no, no bearing on it. And we made uh, allusion to this this morning. And I'll say it more plainly now. Abraham was 99 years old when he was given circumcision. Therefore, the righteousness of Christ was imputed to Abraham for his justification in Genesis 15. And that was at least 13 years before circumcision. Because Genesis 15 is at that time uh, he he was well we're just uh, he left Haran. We saw this in Genesis 12 this morning. He left Haran when he was 75. Now remember he had already left Ur the Chaldees. He left Ur the Chaldees. He went up the Euphrates River to Haran. We don't know how old he was when he left Ur. He might have been 50. Might have been 70. Might have been 60. But we know that he was 75 when he left Haran. You see that in Genesis 12 and verse 4. Ten years later, at the age of 85, and you'll find this in Genesis 16, verses 3 and 4, that Abraham was 85 years old when he went into Hagar. In fact, let's just read that. Uh, for those maybe on the internet and may not have a Bible. Genesis. Well, while we're, while we're doing this, let's just go on back to Genesis chapter 12. Now read verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and lot with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. He left Haran. He went down into uh, Bethel, built an altar there, went down into Egypt. And you know what that took place when he was there in Egypt? Came back out of Egypt, went back to Bethel, uh, worship God again at Bethel. And then in chapter 16, in other words, chapters 12, 13, 14, 15. Now we come to chapter 16. Verse 3, And Sarai, 
Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. So 75 plus 10 is 85. That's when he went in to Hagar. Verse 4 says, And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. But then dropping down to verse 16, after uh, it says, And Abraham, Abram was fourscore and six years old, in other words, eighty-six, when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. So Abraham was eighty-six when he bare Ishmael, when Ishmael was born. So, all of that took place after Abraham had the righteousness of Christ imputed unto him as recorded in Genesis 15.6. So circumcision was after, if you want to put it as we said this morning, if Abraham was saved... Well, Abraham was saved before he left Ur of Chaldee. But in Genesis 15, when the it says that he believed God in it, that is Christ, the seed was imputed unto him for righteousness, that was before circumcision. So circumcision has nothing to do with justification. And see, the Jews, the Judaizers had gone to uh, Galatia and told them that they must keep the law and be circumcised in order to be saved. But circumcision and the law had nothing to do with salvation or justification. Has nothing to do with it. And that is to be made plain. Uh, I get uh, aggravated when I read some uh, old commentators or hear some uh, modern uh, ministers talk about that you've got to take a man to the law and get him lost in order to get him saved. Well, if that's the case, what about Abraham? And we Gentiles who have the same faith of Abraham are justified the same way Abraham was justified. And so the law and circumcision has nothing to do with a man's justification. And if, like some people try to say, the Reformers particularly, and, and Protestants, you have to remember Baptists are not Protestants. Though most Baptists today don't even know that. They call themselves Protestants. But Baptists are not Protestants. And but but Protestants claim the idea is that uh, circumcision took the place of baptism. Excuse me, I got that backwards. Baptism took the place of circumcision, but baptism didn't take the place of circumcision. Baptism is something entirely different. 
circumcision was given to Abraham because of the faith that he already had. Circumcision is tied to the law. We see this in uh, Romans uh, 2. Also in Galatians 5, by the way, but we'll get to that later. But in Romans chapter 2, verse 25, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. See, circumcision is tied to the law. And if you break the law, which every individual does, then circumcision is broken too. Nothing to it. So if the promise is given or the inheritance is by the law, then faith is void. And the promises of none effect. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. There's a whole lot there that well I'm just going to read Read more. We'll uh, let's start in verse eight. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessing then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Alright. Was faith reckoned to Abraham while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Uncircumcised. Because it would had to be 13 years later that circumcision came after Genesis 15. So he says in Romans 4 and verse uh, 10, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. He received, that is, Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had being yet, which he had yet being uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all them that believed. That's you and me too. Though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, 
but who also walked in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So you see, beloved, we who have the faith of Abraham are walking in the same faith that Abraham had before he was ever circumcised. Verse 13, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Why was it not through the law? Because the law wasn't given to 430 years later. But through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. So faith is made void if you seek the promise through works of the law. There is no faith for those who live in such a way. So the law is no good for justification. Circumcision is no good for justification. Well, since that's the case, then why was the law given? Why give the law if it there's no uh, benefit in it for our justification and or salvation? Well, Paul takes this up in the next in the following verses and we'll pick up in verse 18 in Galatians 3 excuse me verse 19 in Galatians 3 and read through the end of the chapter wherefore then serveth the law it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. Even though it's not, it, it, it plays no part in our justification, it's not against the promise. It's not against it. It doesn't play any part, but it's not against it. All right? I'll start at the beginning of verse 21 again. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, we, we, verily righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, now notice, 
we saw uh, back in Well, I can't put my eye on it now. Uh, yeah, verse 19, it talks about before the, the seed, before the seed came. Now he says, uh, in this verse, before faith came. Now, what, what, do, we, what do we get out of that? Remember the law of faith versus the law of works? Before Christ came, before faith came, before the Spirit came, before grace came. In other words, before this economy of grace, this New Testament era. That's what he's saying here. Verse 23 again. But before faith came, that is, before this New Testament economy, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. That is, justified by the righteousness of Christ. But after that faith is come, that is, after Christ came and justified us through His person and work, but after that faith is come, He's not talking about after we believe, but after faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Neither is there Jew nor Greek. Excuse me, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, we might say that in this modern day vernacular, if you are truly a believer, you are the seed of Abraham. And if you're not a believer... Whether you be Jew or Gentile, you are not a seed of Abraham. Romans 9 makes that plain. So back in verse 19, since the law has no part with our salvation, our justification, What's the purpose of the law? The law was given because of transgression and to clearly manifest to man that he is guilty and is in need of a substitute. If the law teaches you anything, 
It teaches you that you need a substitute. The Old Testament law service from the Passover to Tabernacle and to the feast that was given every day, morning and night, teaches you one thing, that an animal had to be shed for your trespasses and your sins. In other words, you needed what? A substitute. Day after day after day, Passover, first fruits, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of the Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, everything pointed to one thing, you need a substitute. Even in the Old Testament, the, the high priest who made the offering, the priest and the, then the high priest who made the offerings for the whole tribe of Israel on those appointed feasts, particularly the atonement, he had to have a substitute. Because animals had to be shed for him before he could enter into the tabernacle. He had to shed an animal for himself to be burnt on the burnt offering. He had to have an animal shed and the blood to be taken into the tabernacle for himself. And then he had to shed another animal's blood for the children of Israel and uh, take that into the tabernacle uh, for the atonement for the children of Israel. But not only that, blood had to be shed to make an atonement for the candlestick, for the table of showbread, the table of altar of incense, the brazen altar, and for the whole tabernacle, an atonement had to be made. In other words, a substitute, something had to be killed in, the, in its place. The whole law service taught in day and night, day and night, feast after feast, we need a substitute. We need a substitute. And the law was to teach that. We need a substitute. Why? Because we cannot keep it. We are guilty. We are guilty. And the law doesn't do anything but work wrath. Look in Romans chapter 7. Well, first of all, Romans chapter 4. Verse 15. We read this earlier. Because the law worketh wrath. In Romans chapter 7. Verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment by me by, might, be, might become exceeding sinful. So the law tells you one thing. But it tells you more than that. 
the whole law service tells you you need a, uh, a substitute. But it also tells you you're a sinner. You're a sinner. What's the greatest commandment of the law? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, with all thy strength, with all thy understanding. I added uh, descriptive terms not only from one gospel but another and put them all together. In other words, unless you love God with your whole heart 24-7, you're guilty. And dearly beloved, you're guilty. And so am I. No one has ever loved God 24-7 with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, and with all their understanding. Sometimes we have dreams in the night that are contrary to the law. That takes in not only your, as we would say, conscious awareness, but of your unconscious awareness. And the law tells us that we're sinners. In Galatians 3.23 it tells us that the law was added until the seed or till Christ should come. It was added verse 19 really Verse 19, it was added because of the transgression till the seed, that is, till Christ should come. The promise was made in Him. And then verse 23 says, before faith came. In other words, we're still talking about this, this principle of faith or this law of faith. Now, we have emphasized this more than once. But I'm going to emphasize it again because it needs to be emphasized, I believe. Back in chapter 2, we discussed the difference between the law of works and the law of faith. Or the principle of works versus the principle of faith as was found in Romans 3. 27. We also saw previously that we are justified by faith, we're justified by blood, we're justified by grace, we're justified by Christ. And that's 
all one and the same. That's not four different ways of justification. That's just saying the same thing four different ways. These are synonyms. Synopsis phrases, in other words. That is, we're justified by the principle of faith. We're justified by the principle of blood. We're justified by the principle of Christ. We're justified by the principle of grace. Or you might just summarize it and say, by the person and work of Christ. When it says justified by blood, it's talking about being justified by the death, burial, and resurrection or the person and work of Christ. When it talks about being justified by grace, it's talking about being justified by the person and work of Christ. When it talks about being justified by Christ, naturally it's talking about His death, burial, and resurrection or His person and work. Therefore, when it talks about being justified by faith, it's saying the same thing. It's the object of our faith, which is the person and work of Christ. And therefore, we concluded previously by saying that our justification is by the law or principle of faith, by the law or principle of blood, and so on and so forth. Now I'm going to close. I think I'll close by reading this paragraph. Which basically is going to say what we've already said in chapter 2. But since it is so confusing to most people, I want to repeat it again and again. You know, the Scripture says it must be line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. When I was teaching school, uh, I found out in doing some reading and so on that it takes a child being taught something on the average of seven times before they begin to start understanding. And we're not much different than children when we try to learn something new. We have to go over it and over it and over again. As a child, I learned to ride a bicycle. And if need be, I could probably ride a bicycle today, but with my age and some health issues and things of that nature, it probably would not be wise. Uh, but if I worked at it hard enough, probably, I could get back into the groove of riding a bicycle pretty easily again. At least I'd know where to start and how to start. I wouldn't have to prop it up against a tree to climb up on it, get it to get it started. My point is, we need to remember what Peter said uh, when he wrote to uh, those that he wrote, and he said, I stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. 
So following the line of thinking that I've just been giving, that our justification is by the principle or the law of faith, when we come to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 23, and it says, Before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. To make faith here to be the act of believing or some action on the part of man is foreign to the whole concept of God justifying His sheep by the imputed righteousness of God apart from works. But to consider it as the law or principle of faith, to me, brings clarity to the whole context. This is the same with verse 25, which says, But after faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Even in verse 26, we do not become children of God by our act of believing, but under the law or the principle of faith, we are His children. In fact, all of the blessings of God to the elect sheep are included under this law of faith and not by the law of works. Also, this line of thought is continued in the allegory. That is, these two different laws or two different principles. This line of thought is continued in the allegory in chapter 4 of the bondman and the free woman, Sinai and Jerusalem, Hagar and Sarah, the mother of us all. The two laws or principles are described in these verses. The law of works versus the law of faith. Again in Galatians 5 and verse 4, <coughs> where there is a contrast against the principle of law and grace. And it becomes clear that the phrase, you are fallen from grace, is not talking about one who loses his salvation. The fallen from grace is the principle of grace. In other words, when one turns from the truth of the gospel, of being the person and work of Christ, to another gospel or a different theology, they have left the principle of grace and turned to the principle of works. The epistle closes out by Paul identifying himself with the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is not identifying himself with that wooden object on which Christ hung. Paul was identifying himself with the principle of the cross, that is, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was identifying himself with the faith of Christ which is the righteousness of God imputed unto us, whereby we are declared just. And so you can see that this law or this principle, uh, you're either by one principle or by the other, and it's not by law, it's by grace. It's not by law, it's by faith. It's not by works, it's by Christ. It's not by anything we do. It's by the blood of Christ. The person and work of Christ. Well, 
I can say a little bit more about the law, but I'm going to stop there for today and uh, we'll come back to this, Lord willing, next Lord's Day. In fact, I might even reread this paragraph again and, uh, as we open up to kindly uh, make a connection of where we are because as I said, I don't think this can be said too often in order to get the point across. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scriptures and for your salvation from beginning to end in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, it is not in our faith nor in our believing. Though we are thankful that the justified do believe, your sheep hear your voice. Your sheep know you. Your sheep follow you. And that is because your grace is irresistible. Yes, your people are made willing in the day of your power. But all of our righteousnesses are nothing but filthy rags when it comes to being justified. That is only in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we ever keep this distinction. In Jesus' name, Amen.